Alright everyone, welcome back. This is the Solve for Why vlogcast, episode number 48. There are two episodes left to the season, not including this one. And of course, it is myself, Christian Soto, aka Big Poppy, and my man, Big Arms, Big Bet, Matt Berkey, the team BBB. Holla at your boy, man. How you doing? Did you just nickname yourself? Nah, man, I'm just like, I am who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I got a real problem with people who nickname themselves. Yeah, well, you know, you nicknamed yourself 11. No, that's just my number. Yeah, you gave it to yourself, right? All right. There you go. I don't run around <laughs> like, yo, yo, it's your boy 11. <laughs> well, you know, whatever. Maybe you should. Maybe you should. You'll see where it gets you. All right. Well, we have some major announcements. It is... The beginning of a new era. The COVID era. The 999 era. Yeah. We have lowered the price of the Software White TV subscription to $9.99 for the masses to enjoy all of our content that we paid thousands of dollars to produce. Sure. And thousands of dollars to learn through experience. Hundreds of thousands even. Yes, hundreds of thousands even. Now it's nine ninety nine, nine dollars and ninety nine cents. This microphone costs six hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. So does that one. Yeah. How many subscriptions do we need? A lot. Thousands. <laughs> <laughs> to break even. Yeah. Okay. Well, are you excited? I am. Uh, I think that it's an opportunity to do a lot of testing. Uh, I don't think this should be testing. What bankruptcy court? Yeah, <laughs> if need be. No, but I don't think like businesses should view this time frame as right. uh, a period to make money per se. Like, you know, we should all expect down quarters moving forward. I think instead it's like a really good opportunity to, you know, test the boundaries of basically reach in the mm -hmm. community as well as like play with different models by which we can still provide value. So we're going to be doing a lot more masterminds. We're going to be doing a lot more play and explain. Um, we're going to have some courses inter intertwined uh, through the middle of all that. So I, I think for us, it gives us a chance to see what a throttled back version looks like compared to a full scale version mm -hmm. and then land in a happy middle once everything returns to normal. And then for the consumers, it's an opportunity to see two years of back content that, uh, you know, we poured a ton of hours and uh, resources into to develop at a really high production value. Yeah, I think a lot of people wanted us to put out Poker Out Loud just for a separate price and things and, and you know, like separate to the yeah. software-wide TV site. And it's like, well, now you get everything for yeah. nine bucks. You yeah. Know? It's scary for me. I'm not going to lie. I am like, well, if this fails, it, we're not going to have no money, you know, <laughs> because like that's a huge, you know, we're cutting back like 90% right. the discount. You know, if you had a sticker at the yeah. Sears store. It would say 90% off. You know what happened to Sears? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I, I'm really excited. I think that, you know, I'm I'm excited to see what people think. You know, right. I think this is the first time, like, we said, okay, like, you all can see um, all the, all of our products, you yeah. know, like, pretty much, like, Poker All Loud, like, On Second Thought, and... Everything that we've put out, that we've put like a lot of effort into, a lot of pride into, and now they get to see it. And then we get we get the feedback. We also build a bigger community. You know, we 
we were somewhat of a niche community. We we're like, oh, we're like, it's small, but like now it probably is potentially to be like pretty massive. And I think that that's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. I think that, uh, you know, I think the, the training industry as a whole, the poker media industry, um, all of these kind of organically developed corners of the poker market that a lot of the, I guess, graduated players are mm-hmm. kind of heading the, the, the steam or the charge with. Um, I think they all stand to be better served through peer review. So hopefully this gives an opportunity for that. Hopefully there are you know peers out there who want to take the time and give it a look. If not, no big deal also. But you know that's something that I think is a really big element before we start digging into who are the bad actors in the community. Mm. I think oftentimes we just take a look at somebody's public persona. Uh, and I'm not even talking necessarily about us, but it's very easy to just look at somebody and be like, Oh, he is only doing this as a money grab or, you know, mm. he only has this intention or that. And it's just way better to judge people based on their work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. $9 and 99 cents. You can sign up now. You don't need a discount code because it is completely discounted already. Use the code Sears. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm excited. They call this liberal scum, Berkey liberal. <laughs> 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 That's how we're gonna start this show. They, they call this liberal scum. Oh, you man. know, you can't talk about the mayor. You struck a real fucking nerve, buddy. I, uh, I guess I should have saw that coming. You know, we're both. Uh, no- I, I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I didn't think there was a debate as to whether or not what the mayor said was ridiculous. Yeah, but they call this liberal scum. We don't know how dividends work. Well, uh, what else is in Speak there? Speak for yourself, they, man. They said you didn't know how dividends work. Well, you know what? I actually do know how dividends work. We also At were least, talking about dividends. And I'm talking about the dividend programs, not how dividends work. Dividend programs, a lot of the dividend programs. Again, I will say it again. I'm doubling down. Get them. The dividend programs allow the investors to reinvest the dividends. That's how it works. Why you give these guys rope, man? It's okay, man. All right. Well, they didn't like last week. Some of them did. Some of them did it. I'm glad they tuned in for the show. Let's move on. I don't want to, but I will. Move on. Let's start. <laughs> I, uh, all right. So we're liberal scums from Northeast. I could, I could live with that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on. Uh, we, I want to start a little bit with some of GG's presence in today's landscape they just this week will be the beginning of their wsop online poker series it is featuring a slew of tournaments including i believe a twenty five thousand dollar buy-in tournament all the way at 50 all the way to twenty five they they're covering the whole onslaught of of tournaments low buy-ins big buy-ins huge guarantees multiple flights they also signed uh, Poker Code, which is Fader Holtz and his partner. I, 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 I've always Matthias. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they. Matthias. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if people get that wrong with me. They're like, it's Matt Berkey, and I think his name is Chin, or <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. So they signed them for a poker skin. I'm curious to see what that's gonna look like. Mm-hmm. I think GG if I'm not mistaken, already has a poker skin, like natural eight. Natural eight uh, skin yeah, of GG. Right. So they're going to have... I'm not really sure how skins work. Me neither, actually. But I'm assuming that... 
they are going to have some sort of commission or or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I just assume people. that they're effectively affiliates. Yeah, yeah. That's what it does. I think like it, Black Chip is an affiliate to right. um, ACR. ACR. Yeah, yeah, same as like True Poker and and things like that. Yeah, so that's a, that's a big deal. Uh, another training site getting somewhat of their own website thing, similar to Run It Once. Uh, and I assume bigger things are in the works for GG, right? Yeah. So what are your thoughts in GG's movement or trajectory? It seems like they're becoming a big household name fairly quickly, like mm-hmm. catching up to, you know, making a play at Party Poker and Stars pretty fast like yeah. it's like they people know that name now yeah i i mean i don't know if everybody's aware in the community necessarily but one of the highest ev events that maybe has occurred in our generation poker generation's lifetime actually occurred on gg it was effectively the equivalent of it was like a modern day equivalent of the professor the banker and the suicide king mm. um they were running 25k turbo yeah. tournaments like every hour on the hour yeah it was well for the better part of three, four months, something to that effect. Uh, and a couple fun players, let's say, uh, or I guess I should say a couple businessmen who were mm. gambling for fun is a better way to put it, um, lost really, really big numbers. Yeah, millions. Big numbers. Um, <clears throat> nothing compared to the Andy Bill uh, versus the corporation right. type of numbers. But for all intent and purposes, for something we haven't seen happen in 25, 30 years. Especially in, in tournament. Right, yeah. Uh, this was pretty significant. So I think that really put them on the map. Um, I remember first catching wind of it when the high rollers were kind of getting moved over there. I just kind of thinking like, oh, this site seems to be... like I didn't know anything about it. I didn't realize it was a real site. I thought right, it was like an we, app. Right, all we knew was that Brent Kenny was wearing this yeah. thing on his shoulder and it was like well what is that type of yeah. thing and then all of a sudden it was like yeah they're, they're running 25ks yeah but i imagine that that helped them reach scale very quickly once mm. they're able to you know basically uh facilitate something that that is that big of a head turner in legitimacy poker. right away it's right. like it's like well if these people trust twenty five thousand, yeah like yeah. constantly firing twenty five thousand, like i could definitely put up a couple thousand you know yeah Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of legitimacy to that yeah and i think that they're pretty heavily saturated in the asian market also which is Mm. massive right Right. uh the asian market and the indian market are the two largest worldwide they're pretty nice on brazil too you know because of felipe felipe's been pushing them right right. so they're they're getting these influx of people from markets that that are growing well yeah specifically the indian and the asian market are obviously the two most populated regions of earth right mm. but when you add the fact that poker is still new by comparison to other markets there and then you add in places like brazil where again like its growth factor is a lot higher than if you look at something like the states or mm. you know um middle of europe or whatever the case may be uh they're in some pretty key demographics yeah uh, i don't know that they're actually in the indian market i i think that online poker is still but either totally we understand, illegal we understand their yeah. their their path to growth. yeah yeah so uh, i think that gives them a huge leg up i know rob was kind of uh tweeting a few weeks ago that gg is actually like significantly higher than them in cashing and traffic mm. uh party poker is actually like something like fifth you think, I think rob is shook right now no okay. no um i think you know for party it's like it's just a hard path forward i think rob's an innovator and he's doing everything in his power to keep things moving and they're doing great like the affiliation with wbt with poker masters all these live tours that yeah, they're bringing yeah. online 
that's definitely going to increase traffic in the short run for sure. And I think parties doing pretty well sustaining in MTTs. Yeah. But cash games are different. Mm-hmm. That's a really competitive uh, industry, and it's not as easy to incentivize people. You can't just put guarantees onto a cash game right. to, to draw people in. So I think there's a big struggle there. I imagine the next step forward for GG is to either align with or compete with uh, like the Triton Poker Tour. Mm. Um, and maybe do so at a broader scale. So right now, Triton is just niche to high rollers. But there's all this downtime where nobody gets to be a thing right now. Yeah, And that allows a lot of opportunity for fast movers to be like, you know, real disruptors in the market. If GG has some plan of attack where they're going to put together a, say, like, um, I don't know, like, south pacific tour of sorts like hitting that corner of the world that is growing and offering buy-ins that range from small to huge yeah by the time the the covid thing passes and they're able to relaunch they might just already insert themselves i would be heavily surprised if wsop didn't like get exclusive like it seems as if they would be like no like you if you're gonna work with us like you can't work with another tour um, I don't think, well, I, matter of fact, I know that online and, uh, brick and mortar are separate mm, in, in mm. that enterprise. Right, right, right. So I don't think that that matters too much. Okay. I mean, that would be great for them. Yeah. They get to use multiple platforms. Well, also or... like I would be basically saying that I think that GG has a path to just create their own. They don't need to necessarily oh, align with somebody else. So they don't need Triton. They just need to create their own, their own thing. Right. I mean, and I mean, it could be a partnership where like GG provides all the prelims and Triton provides the high rollers. Mm. I think that makes a lot of sense. What are your thoughts on the poker code uh, move? Um, I'm unsure how like, okay, so a training site has their own skin. I'm trying to figure out like what the play is there for them. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that it's a branding move because like I have poker code and I don't see it as being high value. Um, but I think Fedor and Matias are insanely high value. Mm. So I think this is more of just a branding play where GG gets to align themselves with two very young up and coming entrepreneurs who are very talented at poker, Mm. very intelligent and uh, are willing to basically give them all their brand recognition that they have collectively uh, alongside whatever audiences that they can potentially convert to customers. Yeah. So specifically, Poker Code is, it, it's not big here in the States, I don't think. Right. I, I, would, I would assume that too. Uh, just simply based on the general buzz, I guess, from right. what I get. Like I, I usually have my ear to the ground in these things and it didn't feel as if the poker code video course had a same buzz as like a Doug Polk course. Did you watch it? I watched a fair chunk of it. Yeah. I thought it was very well produced. I think it's well produced too. It's also like basically what we plan to put out for free. So like, I think it's pretty low hanging fruit. Um, But again, like I I can't reiterate this enough. I think like that doesn't matter Mm. because you're talking about getting Fedor and Matias. I think that was the move for GG, right? Where it was like, because like they could have they could have aligned themselves with Razor Edge, right? Where right. it might be a better product, right? But at the end of the day, like who's going to move the needle more with new acquisition? Fader yeah, Holtz or Ben CB? Exactly. Because I'm thinking, okay, well, GG's signing these sponsors. They probably reached out to Fedor and were like, hey, do you have any interest now that you're no longer, you know, have a direct tie with someone? And he was like, not really. And then 
they fired back with like, is there anything that you would be interested in? And then he fired back. Well, maybe we could work something bigger out where I have my own thing, my own yep. platform. And they were like, okay, we can make that happen. For yeah. You. That seems like possibly the way the conversation it makes went. perfect sense. I mean, yeah. once you get to the point where you're the, where you're the face of a business, all of your leveraging there forward will be in order to leverage the business brand, not mm. your personal brand. Right. So whatever, whatever value the quote unquote Fedor Holtz brand has is now directly associated with poker code. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a pretty good move for Fader. It's a kind of a boss move. Um, I think GG's is like doing some pretty good things. I want to address the weekend streams once more. So they're streaming pretty much every weekend. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's something that like it's not cheap for them, right? right? It's not cheap for them. So one, do you think it's a good investment for them to stream every weekend? Or do you think like, because we've never seen this before. Like right. we've never seen uh, like party or, or any of those guys, like every now bit. and then they'll like be like, Sam's Oh, game. right. Right. Yeah. But like those are usually facilitated by someone that already wants to put the, put a product right. out, right? Like poker go. Yeah, yeah. So poker go pretty much takes on the expense, I assume. And then, um, like Rob's game or something yeah, like yeah. that, right? Yeah. Sam's game a little bit. Uh, we've seen it a little bit online, uh, but it's interesting. Effectively, we're seeing um, a site get into the content game. Yeah. Do you think that's something that we're gonna see more often? Because I, it's it's new. Like we haven't well, seen. I think the problem is, or maybe the solution as to why GG will find success this path, is because the other companies are too corporate, right? We don't know GG yet. We don't know them as a corporation. We don't know them as anything. We know their, we know their affiliation to their pros yeah. better than we know them as a company or an entity. It's interesting. I don't even know. I don't even know who's behind GG. It's right. like, I don't even know their face. You yeah, know? yeah. It's like, they're like, well, like at the same time. You don't know who's behind stars, but we did at one point. Like Maya. No, no, no. Well, before that, you just know that another corporation's behind it. Well, before that, there was an actual person that owned poker stars and yeah. we all knew that name. Did we? We knew Lee Jones. He didn't own the. He didn't own Stars. No, though. there was. He was just name. like the liaison. There was one. Per, there was like the owner of GG, uh, the owner of Stars that everyone loved. It's, it's, it's like I'm, I'm missing that name. And then when he sold, that's when it went to Amaya, and, yeah. and everyone was like, "Oh, this is going to shit." Or yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. So like, basically, I think that the reason why these streams have been successful is because they didn't go the shortcut route of I'm going to create a content team, right? Mm. And I think like Stars and Party have both followed that model. Uh, largely recycling the same people. Stars developed mm. guys like Gross and Jamie Staples and all these other streamers. Right. And uh, once they began to cut ties, all of those streamers just went over to Party and said, let's do the exact same thing for you. I don't think that moves the needle. Um, I don't know what their audiences look like now. I just know that... Lex is crushing though. Lex crushes. Yeah. Uh, they retain Spraggy. He, he obviously does pretty well. I'm not sure how many others they actually have under their umbrella now at Stars. But I know the party side is continually getting larger. I think uh, Ari is there as well, who was formerly Stars, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Lex is in party. No, Lex is Stars. Hundred percent. Okay. Hundred okay. percent. Um, he's. They've gone back and forth so many times. I'm he's not always been part, or he's yeah. always been Stars, and he's by far the biggest. But uh, the whole point that I'm trying to make is that the issue with that is you're reliant upon now a bunch of individual brands mm -hmm. to leverage you. So effectively what you're doing is you're giving a platform for a bunch of affiliates to promote. 
And that's great, but it's not necessarily the best means to an end. It's not the best business model that a person could potentially have. I think what GG's doing instead is they aren't sparing any expense. Reaching out to somebody like Andre, who has a full-blown production team that has the capability to then network amongst the potential streamers or whatever the case mm -hmm. may be, is another pathway to developing an entire content creation space. And I think that that actually has the potential for legs because where Jamie Staples may not be able to get front page, Andre can, yeah, right? Yeah. Where, uh, where Gross or uh, Spraggy or Lex or whatever may not be able to move the needle on a Sunday necessarily unless they're deep in something, GG can now showcase their entire product yeah. and say like, you know, this is what we have to offer kind of thing. Right. So there's a lot more room for creativity. They can fire up a 25K right. with commentators exactly. and just be like, this is a 25K. Like exactly. you should care more about this than the 109 Right. So run. now rather than, and I know I spoke about this a little bit last week where I think the production has the ability to make it more of a meld between streaming and commentating. Um, the point is they're not emboldened to that. So now, like, if you want to watch a Lex, it's because you enjoy Lex and you want to sweat Lex and you care, mm -hmm. right? But if Lex isn't on that day, then maybe you just don't care to watch. And it's happening. So I did commentary on Sunday, and it was it was pretty fascinating. So two players made the final table in both the 5K and then the 500. Oh, wow. Just, like, both at the final table. Yeah. And... That's that's a feat in and of itself. It was like that became the theme of the show. It's like, wow, look at these two players. They both made the final table in both of these events. Right. And that kind of now they become a little bit of a household name in these streams every Sunday. So, yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see how GG continues to develop because it seems as if they're on the right path. And it's been so long that everybody keeps saying like, oh, you know, we need someone to step up. We need... We need, you know, new things in poker. We need new things. And Rob's doing a great job with party poker. GG's stepping up. And I don't see the path for stars. It just seems like they're just, I don't know what's going They don't need happen. a path. They're yeah. still the industry leader. Mm -hmm. Like, they're still sitting atop their throne. Um, I, I don't know, man. I have a very dystopian view of online poker until something major changes. Mm. There's a lot of small tweaks and implementations that are taking place. But... I don't see the dream being alive online. Like I don't see the necessary path for the 10 cent, 25 cent grinder to making it to nosebleeds. Is it just tournaments? It seems like there's a tournament that's massive every day. Yeah. I mean, yes, but like now you're just kind of asking to be picked, mm. right? Like I don't think there are going to be a lot of, it's not like pre black Friday where uh, a lot of legitimate good poker players erupted from the online tournament schedules there a the money to make back then was significantly larger than it is now mm -hmm. at a lower cost so the roi as a whole was significantly greater back then okay. and b uh there was somewhere to scale to thereafter so worldwide tours were just booming ept wpt wsop like all of these tours were just on fire now everything is scaled back so the online ROI has drastically dropped. The fields are a lot more competitive. That means that fewer goats are going to emerge. Rightfully mm. so, mm. right? Like now you really do have to be special to, to be a standout. But on top of that, once you are a standout, 
So like if you take Fedor, for example, in uh, like 2014, 2015, whenever he broke out online. Yeah. If the high roller tour wasn't new at that point, he might still just be grinding the 215 Sunday million, right? Yeah. I mean, he had a million dollar score on the W Cube and then it was just like launching pad at that point. Right. Yeah. So now there is that that platform of high rollers that people can get into, but that's really rare air. Uh, I, I guess like what I'm trying to get at is, uh, I'm reiterating your point to you, is that if there's a scale to nosebleeds, it's certainly only in the MTT realm. We know for a fact that 25K pluses are booming right now, mm-hmm. to, to say the least, mm-hmm. right? Whereas like scaling to 100, 200 or greater, it's pretty hard to find action. Do you think we see, you know, through all this, the can this potentially be the end of a of an era? I mean, it it could be the end of some live cash. Like, if, let's say for example, we don't see live cash for a year, mm-hmm. which is not zero percent, right? Uh, the Las Vegas mayor said phase three, phase four for a yeah. casino to open. Not the mayor. Sorry, they're not the mayor. The governor. The mayor would the have responsible. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. The mayor would just have it tomorrow. Like, oh right. yeah, yeah. Bellagio 1020, run it. You know, sneeze uh, guards. Yeah, sneeze guards. Uh, yeah. So, governor says phase three, phase four. Yeah. California sh- literally just shut down their beaches today. Wow. Um and parks. So shut down. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a small chance we don't see live poker for a long time. Yeah, I agree. Do you think that that could be the end of certain people? Like, for example... Oh, God, yeah. In terms well, of live cash. Well, I just think as a whole, there is yeah. a large subset that was barely getting by mm. and was delusional enough to think that they were the turn of a card away from success let's and talk about in tiers so you have top tier live cash players only right yeah. garrett adelstein yeah andy these these guys that live through live cash mm-hmm. we don't know their finances but i assume hopefully they can withstand the year they're gonna be fine okay i agree but then there's like the tier under that that was just trying to break in you know people like me like i'm sure there's many of of, of myself out there like trying to break into that. You're all going to be fine too. Well, okay. Great. <laughs> but okay. And then there's potentially like that tier right below, which is like two, five live players that are just like shot taking five ten on the weekend. Maybe a ten twenty five pops off and they like sell a little bit. They're going to need another source of income. Okay. Why do you think that is? You just, they just can't withstand the year. Well, because that tier that you're speaking to is living off of their bankroll. Mm-hmm. There are very, very, very few that are in that mid-stakes tier that have a separate life role to what they've been playing with. And some will translate on online or transition online just fine. But the opportunities aren't that great in the United States, especially as a cash game player. So a lot of them are going to have to develop tournament skills, and that's going to be a rocky development process. Mm-hmm. You're going to lose a lot. The ROI is going to be lower than it needs to be in the early going, and you may deplete resources, which is problematic. So figuring out some sort of secondary source of income that allows you to sustain is going to be incredibly critical whenever you were making sub six figures to begin with. Uh, And even those who are making just like just touching the six figure mark, like those who are making like maybe 100K, 125K playing a mix of two, five, five, 10 or strictly five, 10, whatever, they're also going to be in 
difficult situations because, you know, between taxes and living expenses, you're spending half of that. Mm-hmm. And it's really difficult to just build up this massive nest egg that's going to get you through 12 months. Yeah, stuff. So I don't think like live poker is going to crumble, but I think the ecosystem is going to struggle for some period of time. I think that we're going to lose a lot of shit regs to the struggle. But I also think there's going to be a big influx of new money because as much as I hate to say it, in chaos, there's opportunity. And there's going to be a lot of smart people who capitalize off of this economic downturn. They're going to insert themselves and they're going to be the the dinner, if you will, whenever things reemerge. Online tournaments. We touched that. I think that I think it's, I've never really, I didn't experience uh, Black Friday, mm-hmm. like before Black Friday. It was like, I wasn't there, but I've never seen this before where it's just like every tournament's like smashing guarantees on all sites. Like you, you can't go wrong. Like there is no site. Like you're just like, oh, I want to play on this site versus this site. It doesn't matter. You right. could just play any site yeah. and you're just going to have this like insane value to, to be had. And then there's also like the apps and things like that. Do you think though that there is also opportunity for these guys to just potentially move up? Like, like for example, the shit regs you're talking about, like mm-hmm. they should be beating most of these. I don't think games. that's true. Mm, okay. I don't think that the players who are breaking even in the live realm or winning small are just naturally going to go into the online environment and do well in an online tournament. It's hard, man. It's mm. it's really hard, especially if like that's not your skill set that necessarily transfers, mm. you know? So it's like, yeah, there's a lot of bumps in the road. You're going to have to struggle through the downturns and the variants. Um, some of them will get picked. Some of them will get lucky. Some of them will be good enough, uh, whatever the case may be, but it's not going to be the majority. Mm. I think the majority is just going to burn a lot of their financial resources trying to chase the unchaseable. That's hurtful. <laughs> it hurts because I'm yeah, but like the same, it was already happening live. Yeah. It's just so fucking slow. You know what I mean? It's like they're willing to kind of set their life on fire for years at a time, where they're just living check to check and score to score and you know win to win. I feel like this would be a pretty good time to pick up some horses. Like if you were a backer, there's probably going to be some really good value now in terms of picking up some horses simply because they're going to run out of money and they're going to need a source of income and you are that person like if you if i was a if i was a backer today i think you have like you know we saw Jesse put up a tweet and just like get probably way too many applications yeah you know so if i was a backer today i think that's a there's a pretty good time to be you know like backs and sheets or or just backs now but or like a Dipthrong or a Jesse. Or... It's just hard though. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so hard because people who have a substantial enough ROI that you as a backer want to incur that risk for moderate return mm-hmm. either aren't going to need backing or are going to be in a financial situation where they so desperately need backing that they're not a good horse. So you and I know some of the players under the Jesse uh stable mm-hmm. right so those are some winning players like some yeah yeah i mean you know for jesse's sake we hope they're all they all are yeah, right? yeah 
Um, but some of them in particular very likely are winning under the the constructs of their of their deal, like buy-in range, site range, site availability, yeah, uh, etc. So I think there is the potential to have winning players that are not like as long as you put the right parameters. So I think that's But it's so hard be it's so hard because if you break it down to the to the minutiae, right? If we if we just look at this strictly through an ROI per person type of mm -hmm. uh lens. Yeah. Let's say the average buy in is like fifty dollars, right? Okay. And the average ROI is something in the neighborhood of thirty percent. Sure. Okay. So they're making uh fifteen dollars on every on every register. Register, right? Yeah. Now they have to play at mass, mass volume which is difficult to achieve in the United States. And they have to effectively, um, or I, I should say and, I should say or, they have to effectively run above expectation in the short run in order to increase their average buy-in so that they can either increase volume mm -hmm. or increase uh, potential returns. So it's like, if we're talking about a 30% ROI on an average buy-in of $50 and you have 20 people putting in that type of volume, right? Yeah, Jesse stands to make some money, mm -hmm. but each individual horse, not so much. They're probably playing for somewhere in the neighborhood of minimum wage. Like if we were to examine average buying range of $50 yeah. uh, over the course of a year, we might be looking at, I don't know, let's say that it's five events a day. That's really small. You think it's more? I think I think the average horse is probably running at eight to 10 binds a day. Okay, so let's say 10 then. Okay. Okay, so that's I'm gonna do I'm gonna I'm gonna run the math with you along. Okay. Okay. So that's three hundred dollars a day that they're averaging. That's five fifty. Fifty dollars huh? times ten. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh hundred and fifty dollars a day that they're averaging uh profit. Okay, okay, right? that's fine. Yeah, so it's it's uh hundred and fifty dollars a day profit. It's five hundred dollars worth of buy ins, hundred and fifty dollars worth of profit on average. You said their ROI was thirty percent? Yeah. yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So $150 a day, let's say that they play five days a week uh, and let's just examine the first six months. So 25 weeks. <laughs> you with me so far? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So that's 125 days at $150 a day. Yeah, it was, so, it was like 41,000. Right. So, so that's if they're able to achieve that volume over that duration of time consistently, right? Mm -hmm. That's great. Then they're making like effectively $82,000 a year minus their backers cut. Right. So, so I don't know what their deal is. I mean, I do know what their deal is, but let's assume for, for, for argument's sake. Argument sake that it's 50-50. Yeah. Right? That means at the end of the year, they're going to make $41,000 playing uh, these levels. That's a pretty good, pretty good deal. That's a nice mid-stakes deal, right? Yeah. And the better ones are going to scale and things like that. If, though, they aren't able to achieve that volume... Or if they aren't able to achieve that ROI, because I think 30% is probably low for some and really high for others. Yeah. That's why I'm just kind of ballparking yeah, in the aggregate. Right. right. Um, if they fall on either end of that spectrum, you're going to find a lot of people in that stable that are working for about minimum wage. Yeah. And I get it. It's okay because it's it's a minimum wage job with the opportunity for, for uh, growth. pretty high growth. Yeah. But... It's a pretty big risk from a time standpoint, you know, to be firing 10 to 15 buy-ins a day, you're probably looking at, especially with the late reg on ACR and, mm -hmm. and things like that, you might be looking at like 14 to 15 hour days. Yeah. So now by me saying that they're playing five days a week, it's I'm like also saying hours. more, 
50. Yeah. It's yeah. almost 70. Yeah. It's a lot of time. Right. So it's like 70 hours a week. So now we effectively work this out to an hourly and even making 41,000 a year, you're talking about them working somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,500 to 4,000 hours a year. Mm. So now all of a sudden that's like them making 20,000 at a normal work week, so which Jesse's, is minimum Jesse's wage. Jesse's running a sweatshop, like a sweatshop. It's not that he's running a sweatshop. <laughs> it's just that I don't think people, people, people see the, the, the. Just say the, it, bro. Jesse's running a fucking no, sweatshop, bro. No, he's not. No, he's not. <laughs> but. What I'm saying is that I think that the people who are forced into these backing deals don't recognize from a logistical sense what their time is worth because they very likely don't think their time is worth anything. Or they just don't have any other options. Right? That's they why I'm saying I think they effectively yeah. think their time is worth nothing. right? And if you compare it, it's like, okay, well, yeah, you can make 15 bucks an hour working at Starbucks, but who the fuck wants to do that? Mm. And I'm only going to make 15 bucks an hour at Starbucks. And it's like, yeah, there's a variable nature. Shout out to the baristas, bro. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's a variable nature to this backing deal. Like you could reach scale and you could improve your opportunities and you could make a lot more money than that. Mm. But the true likelihood is that you're going to fall at or below that expectation. So most people are going to end up putting in between two and 4,000 hours over the course of the year. And they're going to be worse off at the end of it. And I think that that's the element that isn't examined enough as the person accepting the opportunity. Right. But it's a good deal for Jesse. It seems like it's a good deal for Jesse. It's How? high risk. It's high risk, marginal or it's high risk, moderate reward, right? Because he has to be varied. And I, I shouldn't say he, it's obviously a collective. It's a team, yeah. But they have to be incredibly diligent about knowing precisely when that stopping point is crossed for a certain horse. Like they have to be examining volume the entire way. And, you know, I, I think that I trust, let's put it this way, I trust that they are going to be very good at this and it's going to be a very fruitful endeavor for them. Um, but when you examine it through the two different lenses, right? The actual backing group versus those who are backed, it's two completely different visions of the exact same business. The right? stable the, the stable should have a union. No, <laughs> no backer would ever agree to that. But to that point, each person in that stable views it as a 1v1 relationship. Right. Right. Where it's like, uh, I yeah. look to you for coaching, mentorship, and financial right. um, opportunities. Right? right. Each person in the backing collective looks at the stable as, as a unit. Correct. And they don't care, or they shouldn't care. They can't care as businessmen mm -hmm. how it's going to impact any one individual right. whenever their volume numbers decrease, whenever their returns decrease, when their ROI doesn't prove. Like, they can't care. After 10,000 hours, or, or sorry, after 10,000 games, that your ROI is 2%. They can't accept that as, okay, you're going to get better down the line. Mm. They have to just make hard decisions and say, look, you've put in this amount of volume and you're not performing. Therefore, we have to let you go. Right. And then there's a little bit of the math of like, well, the makeup is this. So now all of a sudden there's like some math in terms of, your makeup versus your, you could be losing small, but because of your makeup, like they're still incentivized to, to kind of keep you because like, I don't think that's true if they're running the business properly. Okay. Explain. I think in business in general, when you have very sound projections, so when you have enough evidence to indicate what the return will be moving forward, cutting your losses and not throwing good money after bad mm. is incredibly critical. But makeup has like there's equity in makeup. Not if the return isn't there. 
If you've seen enough volume to recognize that somebody's ROI is probably 2%, give or take three standard deviations, Yeah. right? It's pretty negligible. Yeah. And now it's going to take a whole lot of capital in order for you to realize any sort of recouping. Yeah. So I understand what you're saying in the sense that when they win, you get 100% of that back instead of your 50-50 split. Right. But it doesn't matter if they don't win. But they're... they're when you see quote, evidence quote, due for a win or like if no, but that's if, not a yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. When yeah. you see evidence through volume that they're not winning, you just absolutely have to cut that. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that we saw from the 2003 to 2013, 14 uh, landscape of poker was that backers didn't understand that business metric. Mm -hmm. And it was constantly like, Oh, and especially because it was in the live realm. So volume wasn't really achieved. And it was easy to just say, like, you're due, bro. This is your opportunity. You're going to make this happen. You're one score away. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, those numbers would get huge. Yeah, yeah, but they still were one score away. You'd see makeup of, like, 750K. But it's like you just go out and win five diamond, and all of a sudden, you and your backer have a million dollars in your pocket. I still think that happens, honestly. Like it does. I, I've it seen, does. like, I know of big numbers, mm -hmm. you know? And it, I know particularly because, like, I, I'm involved with, like, some people that back a lot of people, and it's just like... There's some big numbers out there. Yeah. And these are some good players. Like, yeah. it, so a lot of it is, you know, Pads wrote, I thought, it a pretty amazing piece of how these things work. Because, like, if your average buy-in is X and now a huge series comes up and you put your horse into all these all these bullets, then when the series is over, you're going back to average buy-in of 55. Now they're buried. Right, you basically you know? set them up on like an 18-month recoup path. Yeah, that's they just rough. Can't make money. I mean, effectively, for anybody who hasn't read that article, it was very good and insightful, and I thought that it illustrated a lot of these business metrics. He was kind of illuminating that backing is a trap for both parties in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, but due to the gambling nature of all of us involved in this climate, it's like a, a trap we all willingly accept. So he was basically saying that as the backer, there's no exit point. There's no point where you feel comfortable just walking away because you have equity and makeup. Mm. And if they're out of makeup, then you have a winning horse. Yeah. And so like both of those scenarios are ones that will incentivize the backer to continue to throw money at them. Uh, secondary to that, if you have a winning horse, but it's not necessarily proven through volume and it could be some outlier events, you now have a customer or, or an employee who wants his raise. He wants to scale. But you don't necessarily have the confidence to moving into that scale. So now you're absorbing extra risk mm. in order to keep a potentially profitable player. And it all basically boiled down to some sort of metric between maximum ROI achievable compared to volume. And what ultimately happens is the backing group wants the max volume. The backer or the the, the back E wants the best bang for his time. For sure. For and sure. so like it's really hard to make both parties happy. It's really hard. I've I've debated a couple times, like backing some people in some live cash games that I know are very likely to be winning. Now that that avenue is even harder because we've talked about this, like just the trust factor, mm -hmm. like people just misplacing money or like you know being shady with the numbers or whatever. Hard to prove. I think it's interesting because you know one of the things I learned from like Dip Throng and those guys that are like kind of my friends, not kind of my friends, they're my friends, but. They, they effectively always told me, like, when you have money, you just wait. Because, like, opportunity, like, someone will come to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's how he got pretty lucky in finding, like, Volpe, Taylor, Taylor Carroll, and, and, uh, not Taylor and, Carroll. No, not Taylor Tapar. 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 Yeah. Ta uh, what's his name? Ta but Taylor Parr. 
Yeah, there you go. Sorry, Taylor. Uh, and uh, MJK and, and like these just like ridiculous horse gags, like all these not all these people that just like became like massive winners. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just said, like, I never sought them out. Like they just came to me and then I just like said, OK, I think you're good. You know, yeah. Um, so he, if, how he described it was like it, you just like wait and then like a golden fish will just come to you. Sure. Like, you know. Uh, but he he wasn't running a, a stable necessarily. Well, right? st- he was just investing in opportunity. Well, it's a stable, but it's but not. it's not. It's just investing in opportunity. He had really high EV players come to him. Yeah. In a time of need, and he could recognize that they're winning a lot whenever they're rolled, mm-hmm. and he had money to facilitate that. Right. So he's not out there trying to recruit volume. He's, he's not there. taking applications. And right. And he's like also that. not, he's not pressuring them to play volume. They were, right. they were big time live winners. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, I'll put you in things as they arise. Yeah. And like he had a piece of, I think it was like three years in a row. He had a piece of either the PCA winner or runner up. Yeah. Something ridiculous like that. So it's like, yeah, that that's t- a totally different uh, business metric because his side is pretty unmeasurable. Um, you know, you, you're never going to achieve enough volume live for to, for you to have a good estimate of whether or not your horse is winning. And well, a lot of his horses were online. Like like Gag started online, Volpe started online. Like a lot of these guys started online. Sure, but again, this is pre Black Friday right, where right, right, right. the money was just like infinite. Right. And it didn't have to work out for him. Right. It's just you know he cherry picked very good players, some guys that were really good. Yeah. When you look at like the way that like a Jesse Stable was constructed, or Poker Detox, or Pads Group, or mm-hmm. uh, you know all these other backing groups. You just find yourself in an in a arena where, again, you just have to see the people you back as a collective, and you're only as strong as your weakest link. So each time somebody proves through volume that they are not adding to your bottom line, you just have to cut dead weight, and that's a cruel business yeah, model. It's rough because like now you're basically asking people to attribute and commit a lot of time to you to prove themselves. And when they don't, you have to ask them to have enough uh, wherewithal to not be biased enough to say like I'm one event away, right? It's kind of nice though if you're if you're a horse and you're stuck in like whatever makeup like 30k and you're playing 55 dollars, like you just get cut though. Kind of. Are you getting a wreck? What What do you mean? Like when you go out to seek more backing, are you getting a recommendation? Right, right. No, of course I understand, but. I understand. Immediately, it's kind of nice. Yeah, you have the relief of no more debt, but you also have the relief of no more opportunity. Right, right, for sure. I mean, yeah, that's kind of how it works. Unless you know, another person believes in you. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the kind of beauty of this Mm -hmm. of this uh, arena is that if you're the type of person who can get people to believe in you, you're always going to have an opportunity. Insert Matt Burking, the man, the myth, the legend. How long have we been going? I want to have one more topic for you. Go. Talk to me about your push-ups, man. What is what is this thing you have? I feel like you have this uh, new plat, new new path moving forward. Of I saw your tweet of like telling people that you want to like help them with their fitness, and it's not it, fitness is just the vehicle. Uh, in my observation, I think I can pretty confidently say that people struggle with accountability as a whole. It's just like, we were kind of discussing this a little bit in the car ride over here, but it's like some people are born into uh, a battle-tested arena 
where accountability is just defaulted into them because without it, they don't survive. Mm-hmm. And then other people are just kind of, they, 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 their wheels are greased along the way and things in life come a little bit more smoothly. They don't necessarily have to be quite as self-reliant or responsible to any one entity. And I think despite the fact that most people in their life will, will uh, have to succumb to struggle at some point, I also think that most people in life don't necessarily want for the basic needs to be met. And for a lot of people, that's enough. Like as long as they have food, shelter, water, and a roof over their head. Right. That's, you know, to some degree, all they aspire towards. Mm. So for me, even just in developing Solve for Why, it was all about finding those people who weren't happy with just that. Mm-hmm. that wanted more out of life, that wanted more optimization, that wanted to scale their day-to-day into something more proficient. And what I've noticed just being an observer, I guess, during this pandemic yeah. is we all finally have the time that we've complained so long that we didn't have available to us to do the things that we're passionate about, to improve ourselves in a way that you know, uh, people are so readily quick to push back and say like, yeah, sure, you can do this because uh, you have financial freedom or freedom of a job, but I can't because I have all these things tying me down. It's like, well, now you don't. Mm -hmm. So now what's the excuse? Yeah. And it just falls back to that accountability issue. I don't think that it's born into people to be accountable. I think that's something that's nurtured into you through, you know, circumstance basically. So I kind of put a tweet out just getting a feeler of how can I be leveraged to help hold people accountable? And the idea that I, I was, fitness is so easy because everybody wants to be in better shape. Everyone wants to look better naked, period. Yeah, that's, that's what I was saying, Burke. Right? That's what I'm saying, man. At the end of the day, you want to be able to stand in the mirror and say like, okay, I could work with this. And, and so it was just like, all right, well, you know, things like, I've seen so much in the fitness industry like morph as technology gets better. Um, platforms like Beachbody.com come to mind. Mm. So they were originally uh, who constructed P90X, and then it grew into this massive platform. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Like the way that they were able to scale was genius, and the timing couldn't have been better. Their first set of workout videos were all on DVD. Now everything's on demand. It's just really smart business model. So what I was thinking was not trying to monetize. But more so, it's like, I'm working out anyway, right? And I'm super accountable. So is there anything that I can do to leverage those two things to help people in the community that want to do the same? Like, can we just all work out together, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. With There's that, a lot of that. There's a lot of yeah. uh, people doing like yoga together. There's yeah. a lot of people doing meditation together. You know, so why not? Why right. not do this um, workout together thing? I think it could work for a lot of people. Yeah. I, I personally don't like working out in groups, but... I, I like the fact that people like if that helps people do it, then by all means, I think that's kind of fly. Like um, I personally hit a new all time low, Good. Well, not all time low, but new low of weight in recent times. OK. 215. My man, my arms are kind of bigger, too. Like they're kind of a little bit nice. I've been hitting, <laughs> I, I've been hitting that creatine. A couple photos went out, you know, to the chicks. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> You know, I was like, hey, what you think about this? Uh-huh. And they were like, oh, you're looking kind of nice. I'm yeah. like, no, look, check me out in two months. Do you think that anyone would ever reply with not feeling it? I wish they did. Yeah, but you're never getting honest feedback in that scenario. If you feel comfortable enough to send out like a, like a, a feeler text of like, 
yo, what'd you think about your boy? No one's ever going to look at it and be like, meh. <laughs> I've definitely, like, when, when girls have sent me that, I just haven't replied. Like, that's my that's way. That's cold. That's my way of saying, like, I didn't really like it. Wow. That is. What else? What, what would I say? Cold. Then, like, the next day, I'll be like, oh, I didn't see it. I didn't see it till now. You look all right. Like, Man, you're a fucking millennial. Nah, I mean, like, that's. I mean, Ghosting you got you to gotta know how to do the polite curves. Like, the polite curve is the way to go, for sure. That's transparent as fuck, man. Nobody thinks it's polite. What do you... You know what's less polite? Like, yeah, you look great, but you don't look great. That's worse. (laughs) Like, like that's what I'm afraid they're saying to me. Right, right. No, of course. (laughs) All right. So, are you going to stream this week, Matt Berkey? Uh, Sunday. Sunday. That's four days away, man. Every day, people are telling me, like, when is Berkey going to stream? Actually, it's not four days away. It'll be a day prior to this coming out. So, at this time, you've already seen Berkey stream and if you haven't seen Berkey stream hit the vlog sorry the vod below next to this you know what that is yeah like the vod yeah, this right video pre- of the day yeah, yeah video of the day the vod yeah. before this sure. um i'll so. probably also be streaming tomorrow as of when this comes out i'm so gonna try for a tuesday sunday stream you think people go back and watch your streams like uh like yeah after? they get pissed because i don't know how to end it yeah me neither i won a tournament i do know how to end it that's the worst part this last one i don't know what i mean honestly i'm on a janky setup at home i'm gonna be back in the office starting sunday so wow well uh, we'll have that all fixed all right well there was a lot of poker talk for the poker nerds that told us to Shut the fuck up and talk poker, not politics. All these liberal scum talking about politics. Look at you wearing nice and blue, blue stuff. Yeah, Yo, you hurt. I don't like being called liberal scum. I am an intelligent person. I understand the other side. You I know, you want to know what's funny to me is that, uh, first of all, I don't align to any political dogma. No, they, they've aligned to you. Right, right. They've been placed on to right. you. By like no stretch. <laughs> I, I, if for as studious as I am. I do definitely do not spend very much time in the realm of politics. And I certainly don't have any sort of like pride mm-hmm. with like red, blue or anything in between. But I also think it's like ridiculous in 2020 to in any way, shape or form be socially conservative. Mm. So it's like, to me, it's like the idea of having any sort of bias versus people of another color, gender, or sexual orientation, mm. all of that stuff, mind-boggling to me. Can't for the life of me figure it out. And anything else that falls under the realm of social politics to me, it's just like abortion like, and yeah, it's, I don't give a fuck. Mm. I don't care. I don't want the government to have anything to do with it. That's progressive though. That's liberal. Well, kind of. It's also libertarian, where it's yeah. just like you don't want the government in your business, whatever. Mm. What I'm getting at here is the irony of all this is, from what I can tell, the people who go out of their way to make comments. Uh, like basically saying like you're not on our team are libertarians Mm. or self-proclaimed libertarians by which i would say that it seems to me the majority of people who align quote-unquote with libertarianism are basically just people who understand there's a negative connotation with being right right wing and have now just like said all right well this this center point seemed pretty reasonable (laughs) everybody's all about being a part of this yeah and then there's just like, what, you didn't vote for Trump? What the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I, I'm open to all ideas like similar to you. I I obviously grew up in an environment like North New Jersey that is just very liberal. Like just all Northeast generally is very liberal. All right, man. I don't want to get into the politics. If you guys like the show, 
like it subscribe follow us hit the bell button watch your man matt berkey on stream watch us tell your friends go sign up to solve why tv Sign up to solve for YTV. It's already $9.99. By the time you see this, it's already, there's like 20 people that have already signed up today that already know more stuff about poker than you. So sign up today, $9.99. I hope it's a good decision because it's so cheap and I am scared. I got a DM today that said, hey, I just want to say thank you so much. I signed up for the new Poker Out Loud for $9.99 a month and I got access to your entire site. <laughs> That makes me sad. <laughs> that makes me so sad. <laughs> all right. I hope you all enjoyed the show. The season's almost over, so tell your friends. And with that said, 